0: Welcome back to Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And this time, welcome back to, what is it, part 14, I believe, of our Wilderness Year Saga, uh, Space War, in which we're going to cover a couple issues of the Avengers with two different guests. And uh, since there's a resurrection, actually, that does happen in this episode, I'm resurrecting one of my past guests from the series. Granted, they were only here... Oh, they're here three episodes ago. So, that counts. So, John's back. How you doing, John?
1: Yeah, you have to wait at least three days for the resurrection to take effect. Other than If you try to do it earlier than that, you get, like, vampires and stuff.
0: Yeah, so three day, three episodes. It counts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, you call these the wilderness years. And as I was reading these issues today... So, okay. Caveat. Whenever I do a reading project of a character, I tend to diminish the importance of like cameos and flashback appearances of characters and of course that's like what you're keying in on on these wilderness years and i realize that what you're getting is like everything that adam warlock and other characters did you're getting the the legacy of those events you're getting the 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 things that were put in motion by their life so even though you know this story we're doing today doesn't really directly relate to adam warlock's life, it is related to things he affected. And so it's like mm-hmm. his legacy. So these wilderness years can also be called Legacy Years uh, before Adam Warlock is revived down the road. Uh, spoilers. And uh, yeah, so I, I just what? really appreciate getting to see all these things that he's affected. He's coming back?
0: Oh, I thought I was going to be ending this show.
1: Oh, cool. What? You know, <laughs> wilderness, and then just wander off and never find anything again.
0: Exactly. I just walk off into the sunset. Like, all right, they're all done. We're finished now. Oh, there's more stuff cool. I wonder if Jim Starlin's going to do any of it <laughs> or all of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
1: we well, got let's... some Avengers to talk about today.
0: Yes, John's here we're going to talk about Avengers 262 and 263. So, we got some cool stuff going on them, but let's first give you a quick synopsis of 262 and then we'll talk about that one for a little bit.
1: In all his decades of publishing history, One event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022 at johnreadscomics.com.
2: Avengers number 262, Many Brave Hearts. Writer, Roger Stern. Breakdowns, John Buscema. Finishes, Tom Palmer. Colors, Christy Scheel. Letters, Jim Novak. Cover art, John Buscema, Tom Palmer, and Christy Scheel. Editor, Mark Grunwald with Howard Mackey cover dated December 1985, on sale date September 10th, 1985, with a cover price of 65 cents. You can find this reprinted in Die number 17 a German reprint, De Virgulere special number 24 a 1988 Dutch reprint, Los Vengadores number 61 a 1988 Spanish reprint, Strange number 226 a 1988 French reprint, Essential X-Factor from 2005. Avengers, the once-and-future Kang trade paperback from 2013, and digitally on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital comic sites. The Avengers look for another place to launch their Quinjets, since the FAA is now preventing them from launching from Avengers Mansion. They meet up with Stingray and his wife, who show off the Hydro Base, in hopes of having the Avengers rent the island. Namor shows up, but he's feeling down due to events in his life. Hercules engages him in battle to cheer him up. Captain offers Namor membership in the Avengers, and he accepts. Meanwhile, the Enclave are reunited, and they put their latest scheme into motion.
0: All right, that's dropped in. All right, so, Avengers 262, or as the cover says, When Titans Tussle. Hercules versus the Submariner.
1: So I knew that Submariner joined the Avengers at some point down the road. I had never read the issue where he joins. And not to jump to the end of the story.
0: But but I I already did a synopsis. They know what happened.
1: Yeah. But I really, really like the conversation between Captain America and Namor. Yeah. Where he invites him. Because, like, I'm doing make ours Marvel. You know, we've done the first, you know, of course, several years of Captain America and Namor appearances in the Silver Age. They've never talked except for, like, a couple of brief exchanges in Captain America's first story. And so this idea that, like, we've actually gone, what, 20 years of comics without Cap ever saying, hey, that was me in the ice back then. Remember that? Yeah. You remember when you did that thing?
0: Well, guess what? Guess what so, happened because of that?
1: Yeah. It was really cool. I liked it a lot. And using that as a a, a springboard to invite him to join the Avengers, because really, at this point in Namor's life, it doesn't have anything left.
0: No, he is no longer the Prince of Atlantis. He is now, uh, I guess, banished is the word. So he can't be in Atlantis. He doesn't really have a home in the surface world. He's just wandering the ocean.
1: And what? the St- Stingray character, we have actually seen him over on Ours Marvel, oh. but he's not in his Stingray costume yet. Evidently, he goes through some civilian activities, and they use a recurring civilian character and turn him into a powered person. Oh, he shows up that early? Wow. I that's what Mike said. It. I I, I assume that Mike, you know, um, but yeah, he's just in some Namor adventures. He's under, he's doing some underwater research in a city they built near Atlantis. The proximity of the city to Atlantis is what causes a conflict with Namor. And then the plunderer shows up and gets involved and everything goes to crap. But wow. um, that's so what yeah, happens when the there. plunderer shows up. The plunderer is the worst.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No no wonder Kazar hates him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, look, I'm just hanging out here with my loincloth and my lion, and you're just making the family look bad. Exactly. Let's just get to the Adam Warlock part real quick, and then we'll talk about the other stuff. So there is a bit set up for next issue where we see the Enclave. Because apparently they've been arrested in Avengers Annual 12 for some shenanigans they got into involving the Inhumans.
1: On the moon, no less.
0: Yes. Well, yeah, because at this point, yeah, the Inhumans are up on the moon now. And so we see which one is it. Morlach is in prison. And then Zota shows up walking through the wall like they did in that first Fantastic Four issue and pulls him out. And after, of course, they do their uh, recap of, you know, he gives the other two members of the enclave, the enclave, the recap of what their origin is, because how do they know they've only lived it? <laughs>
1: <You> <laughs> I mean, I understand
0: why they have to do these recaps at the time, but it's still amusing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, are you all right? I think so. You rescued me with jury rigged equipment out of a dirty warehouse. Is this what the Enclave has sung to? We who did these 12 panels of stuff that I'm going to narrate extensively? And they're like, uh, uh, yeah, that's us.
0: (laughs) It's like you picking up your kids somewhere and going like, so kids, as you know, I am your father. And it's like, dad, yes, we know.
1: Right. We shall go to see the movie. We who have lived in Florida these nigh on nine years, yeah, we were there. But um, but yeah, it does give us uh, a brief underwear shot of Rocky Horror, Adam Warlock, yeah. and um,
0: and a little hint towards next issue as they open up a case to see what they had, you know, something glowing. It's kind of like the the, the uh, briefcase from um, Pulp Fiction.
1: Well, what's interesting, though, is that the stuff in this crate ends up to be a non-entity in the story. Because it's not what they find next issue. The guy in the hospital is like, yeah, we had some stuff in the crate, but it wasn't a cocoon.
0: Oh, that's true. That's right.
1: So it's weird that the Enclave are here, and they do trigger a story... But then the story has nothing to do with what the they, what they did to trigger it.
0: Well, because they're stupid and useless. I mean, they are here's stupid, the useless old white men. Here is the thing: Are they geniuses? Yes, they're obviously incredibly intelligent. I mean, they created advanced life twice, incredibly powerful advanced life. Mm-hmm. They created Adam Warlock and the character known as her. But they do face a problem that some people, that a lot of people have when they're very smart, that you can have when you are very smart. They think they know everything right and because when you think you know everything therefore i'm always right and therefore you kind of miss the things that you're going to screw up because you just assume no i'm right
1: when you think you have all the answers you stop asking reasonable questions yeah and that's that's a human problem (laughs) yeah in a lot of society um to
0: be fair that's not just people who are very intelligent people who are unintelligent also do that too
1: Right, and it can be even worse, because they think they have all the answers whenever they're actually not that well-educated. But yes, yes, yes. Um, I also am kind of unfamiliar with this era of Avengers, where I feel like they're always kind of battling for their priority status in some way or another. Like, even oh, in the yeah. early 70s, Henry Gyrick shows up and is like, I'm going to take away your Avengers coolness. They're like, no, we're cool Avengers. And they just like waxes and wanes over the course of their history. So right now, they've, they've lost all of their cool government connections yeah. and they've been banned from landing their jets <laughs> in a residential or corporate zoned part of New York city, i.e. the entire Island of Manhattan. And so they had to figure out somewhere to put them. Yeah. And, and the and triskelion so they, doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. And they've been getting now they've been in deluge with letters from all kinds of cities asking them to come there to be their official team.
1: Like make this your home. We'll let you land and there's even a jab. Did you notice that? Yes, I did. Okay, so I've been reading every Superman appearance ever, including all of the Justice League of America series because it's Superman adjacent, and I am in the early stages of the Detroit era. And I have to tell you, I'm kind of loving it, but I know that the Detroit era, because it was so different, different is bad, and it often gets panned by uh, fans of other eras. So whenever they're reading all their mail and talking about all the cities they could move to, Captain Marvel reads one Detroit, they've got to be kidding. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that's true. And I've read some of the Detroit stuff. I mean, I'm reading Justice League right now, but I'm only in the early 50s issue. Oh, obviously not. You're still in uh, Mike Sikowski
1: art. And yeah. And Gardner, Gardner Fox. Fox scripts. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But so but I know I've read some of that early Detroit stuff and it wasn't that bad. But, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, here's the thing when it comes to comics I know sometimes. Kind of different is very bad. Very different can work. Because the problem for Detroit was they were trying to do the same type of Just League stories, but with a whole new team. As opposed to after Crisis, when that book gets canceled and restarted as the JLI. And they go different in both team and tone.
1: Well, I do and feel like there's works. a certain dose of comedy in this era. Like, it's a little bit of proto-JLI. It just doesn't quite land the same way. Anyways.
0: Yeah. But anyway, but yeah, so we also have a little bit of uh, kind of fun stuff. It kind of rings true now as well of, Cap. apparently in Captain America's own series, he decided to set up a hotline so people can contact him easily if they have issues. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I guess he would have people to help, help him determine what's, you know, useful and needs his attention and what is just some kind of crank call or kid saying, I like you, Captain America. But apparently the uh, columnist in the Bugle has taken that to mean Cap's jumping the sinking ship of the Avengers.
1: Right. Which is very, very media
0: believable. Yeah. And, like, you know, the Wasp is upset because she's using his first name and last name when she talks, goes to talk to him about it.
1: Steven Rogers. If she had his middle name, she would use it.
0: Yes. <laughs> I love that part
1: and does the wasp just not it, does she just not wear the same costume from issue to issue pretty much because she's in one costume here she's in a different costume next issue the costume she's in next issue is the one she just started wearing where we're recording and make ours Marvel which is circa Avengers 50. uh it's the one with the the yellow uh central piece with the high collar and then the red arm and leg sleeves oh, okay so that's um, an older
0: one that she gets, I guess she yeah. decides to wear them occasionally back the same one. But a lot of times it's just brand new costumes.
1: I kind of love the idea that she just has a closet full of stuff. And like you and I would pick out a t-shirt, she just picks out a costume for the day. Well, I mean, she is a fashion designer
0: as well. So, I mean, she probably just makes up new costumes randomly and has some make it for her and puts it in the closet. She's
1: like, yeah, I'm going to wear this one today. Can you imagine... If there was that, if there was anything like variability like that in some of the more standard costumes, like if Spider-Man, if they're all recognizably Spider-Man, but they were all like a little bit different. And like some days he's black and red, some days he's blue and red, some days he has um, webs going down his arms, some days he has white stripes going down his arms, you know, just different stuff. I don't think that would hold, but for some reason it works with Jam.
0: Oh, because it's just one character out of several, as opposed to the one main character who might have four books going on at a time.
1: Oh, you know what? You're right. If this this squad of people... Yes, they all do look different in their faces. Buscema is really great about making different people look different. Um, Like, Steve and Dane don't just look different because of their hair. They look different in the face. Yeah. Um, But if all these people were wearing different costumes from issue to issue... In a visual medium, they're just—it'd be hard to key in on who's who. You are well, right. She the, is the one person. Yeah,
0: the Wasp is the one constant with doing that, so that it's easy enough to you know to deal with. Her change for,
1: for, is constant.
0: <laughs> yeah, for both creators and our and uh, readers. And it's also a nice thing that with despite you know the fact that the Wasp is the leader, and I've said this before, the, out of the two best leaders for the Avengers, the Wasp and Captain America. You know, they work great separately as leaders, and they work great together as like almost like a co-leader thing. Because it's kind of hard to have Captain America on a team without him taking some leadership role, no matter how hard he wants to let the other person be lead. It's just too instinctive in his nature. Mm-hmm. But they work well together as that. But the fact is, with LaWas being the leader, and yet I like the costume thing because it still shows that they're not just completely changing the character 100% to make them leader, like where it's not still them anymore. It's still her, it's still the same Jan from Avengers number one. Right. You know, she's still having fun with this, even if she's the leader. So I like that. With their problem with the FAA, and all of a sudden Jen finds one of the letters, she's like, I think we might have a winner. And that brings them to Hydro Base and St- Stingray. And basically it's like, yeah, we kind of lost our oceanographic funding, but we have this whole Hydro Base place here. So, and half of it's been unused. So you know what? You want to lease
1: the land? <laughs> we can use some money. Yeah, I kind of love that idea. Here, use some of our resources, pay us to do it, and both of us get what we need. That's like... That's honest economy right there. You know? Two people have a need and they can meet each other's need. But then, uh-oh, problem. Namor shows up because
0: well, dinner. <laughs> and I love this that Namor's like, no, I'm just here to hang out with my friends for dinner. I I I brought stuff.
1: You know, it's interesting because early Namor, he's all like, I have the powers of fish. And so you'd think he'd be sensitive to like hurting fish, but also Humanity is a predatory species, like we eat stuff. So if they're living underwater, you know they're eating fish all the time. Yeah. So it's a little bit, I don't know, I feel it's a little bit interesting, kind of a a, a blend there. Or maybe maybe Atlanteans are all vegetarians. In any case, he brings lobsters and clams yeah. for for some food here, which um, you know brings up Captain Marvel's whole yam yeah, from New Orleans thing. And the fact that everyone knows who everybody is in this team except her.
0: Yeah, she's the only one who's not revealed her identity yet. I'm fairly certain she does at some point, but we're not going to get to that.
1: No, it's, it's not the podcast. Yeah,
0: but she is thinking about it. Namor, of course, is a little depressed with everything going on, and Hercules decides to do something about it in typical Hercules fashion.
1: And, you know, the, those two Hercules miniseries, you know, are technically slated in a possible future timeline. Yeah. But that's where they come up with the idea of the gift of battle. I'm going to come fight you as a present. (laughs) And he's like, Namor is down in the dubs. I can go give him the gift. (laughs) Yeah, this will cheer him up. Right. And it kind of works. It it, it basically does its job. Once Namor realizes what the heck Hercules is doing, he's like, yeah, okay, we can get along.
0: I love that laughter of his. Like, all of a sudden he realizes what's going on. He just starts cracking up. And he's like, sorry, go on.
1: I was going to say Namor laughing is not a uh, a common occurrence. No, he's like I have a gift for you too, and
0: Cap's like, uh oh, it's like clams. It's like, oh, okay, never mind. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get that part you mentioned earlier, where Cap talks to him about joining the Avengers. Yeah, well, he tell, talks about the uh, whole how he found he's the reason Cap's out of the ice, and now it's like, hey, why, why don't you join the Avengers? You got no, you know you can do some good, and you're not doing anything else.
1: I like he's, there's just, um, okay. Uh, Namor's, he's talking about how Namor's life is really long. He hasn't really aged that much. And um, Namor's like, you know, surface dwellers will never forgive some of the things I've done. And Cap brings up, you mean like that time a few years ago when you broke up a a native worship service? And I could just, I can see this being filmed. They're walking. He mentions that and Namor stops. And like his eyes squint as he's like, Okay. Yeah, I vaguely recall doing that. But yeah. what? <laughs> and it's just like, so I'm going a story about that. <laughs> that was me.
0: <laughs> Why are you mentioning this? How did you know? It's still a little unclear how we found out, but okay.
1: Well, if you read that issue, like, he seems to have been witness to the events. Like, he seems to have been aware of it because he mentions the events in that issue after they happened. But here he clarifies that he found out about it just very oh. shortly later.
0: Yeah, that's right. They told a story to the personnel at U.S. weather station. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I guess they were able to figure out from there, from maybe currents or whatever, looking at currents and things about what happens. Like, oh, that would have went brought them right to the Avenger. Hey, that's me. That probably was me.
1: Right. Um, so yeah, but it's it's interesting. I believe Namor was looking for Atlantis at that time when he found Cap, and he's up in the Arctic, and they hadn't they hadn't established it yet at that point, but it's very firmly established around the time that he gets his own series that the original Atlantis was in the Antarctic, so he's having so much trouble finding his people because you know oceans are big y'all uh that he has gone to the opposite end of the globe and tried searching there because he had no luck so far
0: well they move around because isn't marvel comics number one doesn't that take place in the arctic
1: uh it's in the antarctic according to the silver age version of that story ah um it's under the ice shelf in the water um because I thought,
0: yeah, I guess that's the retcon. Because I thought in the original Marvel Comics one, they were going towards the North Pole and bombing the ice, and that's what made Princess Fenn go up there to investigate and meet Leonard McKenzie.
1: All of those things, yes, but South Pole. Oh, okay. According to the, I don't know how it was phrased in the original Marvel Comics one. I haven't looked, but that's how it's set up now. Yeah. Or at least later. Who knows how it's been retcons since
0: 1968. What? <laughs> retcons over in the retcons on the
1: retcons? Never. Well, it was just... Uh, it was a little bit dismaying. This is a total tangent based on my own show, and I'm sorry. Um, That's okay. The Namor story is, has a moral to it, you know? we're doing bomb tests. We're dropping bombs on the open water. And that has ramifications now in the real world that has ramifications on ecology and sea life and all that stuff, but that's metaphorized and fictionalized in Marvel comics one by your wrecking underground kingdoms. Okay. Mm. And whenever Namor gets his memory back in fantastic four, number four, he's like, my kingdom was destroyed because of all your stupid bomb tests. And Turns out, no, that was just this guy named Destiny up on the Antarctica um, continent, exploding some ice to try to get to some hidden treasures, and the explosions caused cavins and, and avalanches down below the water, and it, the whole the whole metaphorical moral aspect is removed. True. It's just it's just weird.
0: (laughs) Well, that's funny. Yeah, that's because that's when they were trying to retcon where, you know, how Namor lost his memory, why he was gone since those appearances. Exactly. They were
1: trying to tell that story because it had never been told. It's not entirely in love with the story that came out of it.
0: All right. Well, we'll be able to talk about Namor more in a minute, because now we are going to Avengers 263. So hang on for that. uh, Recap. Doctor Fate,
1: Doctor Midnight, Starman, Johnny Quick, Wildcat, Power Girl, All Star Squadron, the Firebrand, Amazing Man, Huntress, Cyclone, Sandman, Mister Terrific, Star Commander Girl. Steel, Power Seven
2: Man. Soldiers of Liberty, Liberty Infinity Bell. Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth Two and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics.
1: They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society Presents, a new anthology on the Fire & Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of theme shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the Golden Age of Comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. Join the fight for justice and
2: subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Avengers number 263. What Lurks Below? Writer Roger Stern. Breakdowns John Busima. Finishes Tom Palmer. Colors Christy Scheele. Letters Jim Novak. Cover art John Busima, Tom Palmer, and Christy Scheele. Editor Mark Grumwald with Howard Mackey. Cover dated January 1986. On sale date October 8th, 1985. With a cover price of 65 cents. You can find this reprinted in DiRacer number seventeen, a German reprint. De Vengadores Special number twenty-four, a 1988 Dutch reprint. Los Vengadores number sixty-two, a 1988 Spanish reprint. Strange number two twenty-seven, a 1988 French reprint. Grandes Herois Marvel number thirty, a Brazilian reprint. X Men Phoenix Rising trade paperback from 1999. Essential X Factor Volume One from 2005. Fantastic Four Visionaries Volume 7 from 2007, X Men Phoenix Rising, the Premier Edition from 2009, Captain America Scourge of the Underworld from 2011, Avengers The Once and Future Kang from 2013, X Factor Epic Collection Volume 1 from 2017, Captain America Epic Collection Volume 13 from 2017, and digitally on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital sites. Morlach Shinsky, and Zoda of the Enclave are attempting to leave New York City aboard a private plane from JFK Airport. This doesn't seem to be working out very well as the NYPD has tracked them down and are racing towards a runway. The Enclave scientists attempt to make a daring getaway, but instead end up crashing their plane in Jamaica Bay. Before the police can go into the water to capture them, the water is rocked by a powerful energy blast. At Avengers Mansion, Captain America, the Wasp, and the Black Knight are present, as Cap attempts to explain to their government liaison, Raymond Sikorsky, that they are accepting the submariner as a a member of the team. As the Wasp and Cap convince Sikorsky that Namor is a worthy member of the team and get an update on restoring their security clearance, the Black Knight cannot help but marvel at the Wasp in action and wonders if she'd be interested in dating him. While flying over the city, Captain Marvel notices the energy pulse from Jamaica Bay and decides to go and investigate. Arriving on the scene, she meets with FBI agent Derek Freeman, who fills her in on the situation. He goes to explain that while they recovered the Enclave members, whatever they were carrying was lost in the water, and he had sent a team of divers down to recover it, when those divers are suddenly forced back to the surface. Monica decides to investigate herself. Changing into energy form, she goes down into the water and finds some strange cocoon on the floor of the bay. However, when she attempts to approach it, a telepathic voice tells her to keep away, and forces her to revert back to her human form. Needing air, Monica is forced to return to the surface and almost drowns in the process. Captain America, the Black Knight, Wasp, Hercules, and the Submariner arrive at the scene at Jamaica Bay and Captain Marvel provides them with a sketch of what she saw under the water. What she drew reminds Captain America of the cocoons used for Adam Warlock and her, causing the Avengers to think that the Enclave may have created another artificial being. Seeing this as a threat, Namor brashly dives into the water, only to find himself forced back like everyone else, and he is then reamed out by the wasp for his lack of teamwork. Captain Marvel goes to question the enclave while the other Avengers attempt to approach the cocoon as a team. While they attempt to fight the force inside the cocoon, Monica learns that whatever is down there is not something created by the enclave. Back in the water, the Avengers notice that what they thought was a cocoon was really just dirt and debris from the water below. When Hercules attempts to push through again, the wasp realizes that the thing inside the cocoon is afraid and tells him to stand down. She attempts to communicate with it and tells them they are trying to help. With this realization, the being inside the cocoon relents, and when all the dirt washes away, what they find is a metal cylinder of some kind. Taking it back with them to Avengers Mansion, they attempt to learn what it is. However, all they can figure out is that it's some kind of stasis device, and that there's something alive inside. Checking with NASA and various intelligence agencies turns up no further answers, and the Avengers are ultimately called back to Jamaica Bay to assist with the cleanup operation and to leave the mystery for later. After the Avengers leave, the cylinder briefly becomes transparent, revealing the body of Jean Grey inside. She sends out a telepathic call to Scott Summer before lapsing into unconsciousness again.
0: And that was the recap. And now we're going to find
1: out from Avengers 263 what lurks within the cocoon. It begins here, X-Factor. I remember in my X-Men read-through being so excited to finally get to this issue because it, of course, heralds the return of a very important X-Men character.
0: And and while this does feel, if you just read this one, it does feel like a nothing crossover. It's a better crossover for X-Factor than that last issue of Defenders, which I think had that that little cover blurb on there as well, which just has the Beast getting a phone call. Oh,
1: (laughs) well, you know, at least he got that phone call. Yeah, Um, (laughs) but that's it. At least this one does something. It's interesting. I don't know if I were in the X-Men office and I wanted to bring back Jean Grey. I don't know that it would have occurred to me to have other team books make that happen and then just segue her into my first issue. That's an unusual way of doing things. I applaud it. I just, it's, it's kind of unusual.
0: Well, from what I remember reading about, this had nothing to do with Claremont.
1: Oh, no, no. This is absolutely the opposite of anything Claremont wanted. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this had nothing to do with that. I'm not sure if this was even, I mean, I have to check that for subject sector. Cause I mean, I don't think, cause it was either Louise or Anne who was in the who was editing the X titles at this time. And I don't think they were the editor of X factor.
1: I don't know about the editor. I I feel like X-Men and X factor had the same editor. Maybe not, but I do know that the decision to bring back Jean gray was done completely against Claremont's wishes. And Claremont was offering up alternatives to the idea all the way until after deadline. Yeah. I know he's calling their offices and saying you could use her sister She went to Atlantis that one time. She could have powers, but they'd already sent the pages off.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mike Carlin or – I see Mike Carlin and Michael Higgins listed as editors. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't – it's like, yeah, the sister was mentioned and as was uh, Dazzler.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But – But anyway – Like, even though it's kind of alas from one perspective, it's also we get Jean Grey and there's like, you know, been 30 years of Jean Grey stories since then. So, you know. Yeah. And she's back in a big, awesome way in X-Fa- X-Men these last five years or so. True. Very true. But, but this yeah, is so not the
0: Jean Grey podcast. It's not. I mean, the name would still work, technically.
1: Resurrections would definitely work for a Phoenix podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> But yeah, Jan's back in her yellow and red outfit that I mentioned earlier. She first put this on in around issue 50 or so of Avengers. And did she change clothes? Well, I guess they're at Avengers base when this opens.
0: Yeah, they're talking to uh, Sikorsky, their liaison. I love how she deals with him here. Mm -hmm. He's like, you want to make who an Avenger? Name the Submariner? Are you freaking kidding me? And she just completely just twists around on him and he's like I'm, he's like, yes i know our security clearance isn't here now so we really don't have to tell you what we're doing this is us being nice
1: yeah yeah and then he's like fighting back well yeah but i'm trying to get your security clearance back which he has a point but i like her handling of him and dane whitman is sitting there admiring her the entire time do they ever get together because he definitely wants to
0: I think they go on a date or two. Okay. But they're also, it's also going to be interrupted with that whole mansion under siege story coming up. And he's going to be off the, and I, I believe he's, there's some issues soon. And then one or both of them will be off the team shortly.
1: Okay. Okay. I haven't read that story.
0: But yeah, no, she handles this perfectly. It's amazing how she does this.
1: And Namor is looking around for an awesome bedroom, and he sees Hercules's, and he wants it. And Hercules is like, "Yeah, but it's mine."
0: I like how he insults it too.
1: Simple, but with a classic elegance. I guess I could. This could work. I work with um, CSS children, and my job as a teacher those autism spectrum children, and the higher functioning ones are in the uh, standard classroom. Um, there's this one kid, I'm of course, not going to say his name, but he oh. he likes books. And um, I have a collection of graphic novels in my classroom for kids who want to pick us and to read during a downtime or whatever. And he was reading one of my books and he's like, can I have this? And I was like, well, no. He's like, why? Because it's mine. <laughs> and it kind of feels the same way here. And Amor's like, yeah, this, I want this. And Hercules is like, no, you, you can't have this. It's mine. It is some. It,
0: this is some interesting dynamics because not only is it two characters with, with the exception of the flight of Namor, are pretty similar in powers, mm-hmm. but also I mean yes, her, you know Perk. I mean you can say they're a different in personality because Namor is very serious, and you know prone to brooding and things like that. And Hercules, is, of course is Hercules, and let's go get drunk. But they are very similar in the fact of like background and the fact that they basically are both used to getting their own way used to special treatment because of their status you know i am the prime the son of zeus i am the prince of atlantis
1: and they're also very irritable so like you don't want to step on their toes so you kind of give them special treatment just to get them out of the way yeah because they both get to, their tempers go up quickly mm-hmm. which honestly is not a good look for men i'm just gonna say but this is the 80s
0: yeah but at the very least especially with hercules as long as it doesn't get you know you, you he can be calmed down he can the they can part.
1: they can both be calmed down i think uh submariner maybe not as easily sometimes but it also probably depends on what the plot wants them to do do they want them to stay uh angry or not
0: yeah. um yeah. kept them I was like i'm out of here i've broken up one fight i'm not gonna make my life doing this
1: yes <laughs> Let's I'm good done. choice because <laughs> that's not your job they need to learn how to manage themselves
0: after, just because you are a grown-up doesn't mean you always have to be the grown-up. Right, right.
1: And so that takes us to looking into the water to find out what's going on, and she finds the busted crate.
0: Yeah, because in the very first few pages of the issue, the Enclave is trying to take off on a plane, and apparently they've been found by the cops, and they're like, uh-oh, let's go now! And they crash into another plane before they even take off.
1: And I have to wonder, whenever they say Jamaica Bay... If like longtime readers ears perked up, because I think Jamaica Bay was identified back in X-Men 100 as being the place where the the shuttle crashed. No. Yes. Okay. It kind of reminds me of the wrath of Khan. When Chekhov is looking at now Chekhov's continuity is Chekhov's continuity, but Chekhov is in the, the shuttle. He's looking at the accoutrement and he sees SS botany Bay and he's like botany Bay. (gasps) Oh, <gasps> Botany Bay. Oh, no, we got to get out of here. So like <laughs> other readers would pick out, like, wait a second, Jamaica Bay. That sounds familiar. What is Jamaica Bay?
0: Oh, and also, I almost forgot. Speaking of your Makers Marvel show, this issue has another thing kind of a little little bit for you. It's an ending to one of the characters you were dealing with early on, the Melter.
1: Yes, I did not realize he was one of I'm guessing this is uh, Scourge, right? Oh, yeah, justice is served. Right. I did not realize he was one of the victims. That was pretty great to see. It was, it's completely um, non sequitur to the rest of the story. No. But it was neat to see.
0: Yeah, considering, wasn't he? I mean, he was kind of portrayed as a pretty big Iron Man villain early on, right?
1: Yeah, because, I mean, he, even though his gimmick is a little bit silly, for Iron Man, it's deadly.
0: And now he's off in a page. Right. How the Mighty have fallen. It was like, nope, nope, you're dead. Bye.
1: Captain America draws a sex toy. And everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what I saw in the ocean.
0: Oh, uh, Well, that makes sense in New York. You know, giant sex toys, you know, hanging out underwater.
1: Right, right. You know, people throw all sorts of stuff away. Exactly. Giant sex
0: toys, giant alligators, tur- you know, t- ninja turtles, all kinds of stuff. that can be found in, underneath, you know, the ground in the water in New York City.
1: So he's just drawing what he knows of the Enclave cocoons. And he's saying, was it like this, based on her description? And she's like, yeah, kind of close to that. Yeah. But it's not actually that. It no. doesn't have the nodules on the sides, which we do see in the flashback when we see him and her bath towels. Um, yeah. <laughs> but when we actually see the thing down below, it's it's less defined. And eventually that, that crusty crust covering is just... Revealed to be detritus sitting on top of it.
0: Yeah, because Cap mentions, he's like, I know the Enclave created her and Adam Warlock. We don't know if this is going to be the same. Pr- you know, it's like, are they trying again? Which, you know, hey, not a bad assumption. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, when we get to see it underwater. It, it has like one of those little things, something that looks like a nodule on the side. And that's pretty much it. You know, it is one kind of nodule, not a bunch of them. Right. But it won't let them get near it. There's something fighting them.
1: And of course, reading this, knowing what this is, every time it speaks, I'm hearing Jean Gray's voice in my head. Yes. Uh,
0: spoilers, which was already mentioned in the synops- you know, mentioned before in the synopsis, we it, the cocoon is Jean Gray's body from X-Men one hundred.
1: Right. In a capsule covered in gunk. Yeah. Because it was just been sitting
0: there on the bottom of the ocean for well, it depends. At this point they were saying it was a couple years at at the point we are at now, they, it probably was like two months.
1: Mm, yeah, because sliding, compressing timeline. Exactly. Right.
0: It's like pretty soon. It's like remember when she, remember we had that Phoenix person around for like two weeks, for like a half a week.
1: I feel like to timeline. I don't know how. I don't know how mathematically minded you are. I feel like the timeline of comics in general is kind of like a logarithm graph. Like, as you go back the lines get closer and closer together. Like recent stuff is spaced apart. But stuff that was far back, even though it actually at the time the events were really, really far apart, from our modern perspective looking back, they're all compressed together.
0: Yeah, it all gets closer yeah. and closer.
1: Peter and Gwen dated for like five weeks before she died. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. But if you talk but if you're looking at it in nineteen eighty, yeah. They were together for like a couple years. Like right. Two years or something. Right. But yeah, no, because it has to, because I got to kind of fit in all that time. Since with the exception of what they do with Secret Wars, and even that didn't really re, you know, restart everything.
1: Mm-hmm. I, you mm-hmm.
0: know, pretty much all that stuff has still happened.
1: But it's kind of what you got to do with an ongoing narrative. I mean, 1968 is where Make Ours Marvel is, and that's where Marvel gets their big title explosion. And there are just the first hints and letters columns of how... Marvel time is different from regular time setting aside the whole this issue and this issue might come out a month apart, but they're only a couple of days apart because the the narrative is continuous setting aside that whole aspect. And just the fact that we're going to bring out Susan's baby when we feel like it, it doesn't matter if it's nine months or four months or 13 months our time is going to go differently than regular time. And that idea is just starting to register in the editorial offices at Marvel and over the course of the seventies in the seventies, they still refer to events in the sixties by date as if this really was seven years ago, even though we obviously haven't lived seven years of life since then. And I think that becomes less as you get along. Yeah. It's a writing no, no by the time you get to 1980, I think.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, because I remember some issues of the Fantastic Four specifically where it's like, New Year's Eve, 19, you know, New Year's Day, 1974. Right. And then eventually you'll get to the point where even though they have stories taking place at certain times of the year, it still doesn't mean a year has passed. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Kitty Pride has had how many stories that take place at Christmas.
1: And well, yet, I, was, I, was ma- I was mainly not. referring to, like, flashbacks. Like, remember that time in 1968, even though we're talking about it, in 1978? But it, oh, wasn't yeah. really, it wasn't really 10 years ago because they no. haven't aged 10 years. Exactly.
0: But, yeah, so they kind of eventually figure out that the way to deal with this is not to attack it, but to just say basically, hi, we're here to help.
1: And we're Jan is once again you. the voice of
0: reason. Yeah, she's like, is this just attacking or is this defending? Because there's a difference.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, attacking is one thing. That's what we have to deal with in one way. But if it's just defending itself, we shouldn't start fighting it. And yeah, it works. She's able to walk up right to it and the gunk kind of falls off and it looks kind of like a metal tube.
1: Yeah, like a very large pill you would swallow. Or a mega
0: pain or, or a suppository for Giant Man.
1: Mmm. Wow. Jean Grey doesn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: speaking of that, they do ha- also throw another hint here when Captain America is looking at it and says, I've checked with several sources in the intelligence community. But no more able to shed much light on that. I know that a
1: space shuttle crashed in Jamaica Bay a few years back. That's what I was thinking of, yeah, the Jamaica Bay reference right here.
0: Yeah. It's like, ooh, a space shuttle. Hmm, interesting. But, oh, well, we got a call. We got to deal with something. And as they run Mm -hmm. off to deal with that, the metal cocoon, the metal part, maybe it is or isn't metal, because that part kind of fades away, and we see what looks like (gasps) it's Jean Grey.
1: And her boobs and then it goes back to being opaque yeah and she says scott and like if you weren't able to pick up the red hair and the scott reference it explicitly says in the narration and the last box it's Jean gray and go read fantastic four 286 for like a phoenix like a phoenix mm-hmm. reborn for the very third time sorry
0: and actually, that would have that this works is that was the last thing. If you're going by the retcon of then Phoenix was not Jean Grey. The last thing that we saw Jean Grey actually say was Scott.
1: Oh, as she was dying in the shuttle.
0: Yeah, in X Men yeah. One Hundred, that's the last thing you see is the shuttle being hit with like those you know, the uh, the cosmic rays or whatever it was that was hitting it. That was the solar flare. That's it. Right. And she screams Scott, and then you go to X One Hundred One.
1: You know, when you read classic X-Men, it had those first 42 issues have either integrated scenes in the story or eventually just switch to backup stories. Yeah. Um, And there's one point where I think it's Claremont scripting all of those, or at least yes. most of them. I'm and pretty he, sure it's all of them. He, he does that last scene from Gene's point of view with the retcon integrated
0: yes because in fact that kind of screwed me up because when i first read x-men 100 i didn't read x-men 100 i read classic x-men i think it's number eight Mm. and it kind of just goes right from the story to the backup it there's no real pause in it so if you didn't realize like i did when i first read it when i was like 14 or 13 that this is where the original story ended i just always assumed that's how it went until so a little while later, I realized that that's not how the original story went.
1: I, I really liked classic X Men because, I mean, some of the backups were just kind of throwaways. I'm really helped. there is something about the story, or the characters, or in the early issues, like I said, they weren't even backups; they were integrated new scenes. They were expanded versions of the stories. So you get appearances of the Hellfire Club and their previous name, Inner Circle, or something. Yeah. And they get shown a bit more in the earlier X-Men adventures. And you just, it gives them more weight when you finally get to their stuff at one thirty.
0: Yeah, I believe, I'm trying to remember, it's been a while since I've read all these, but I believe there's also like a story showing Jean and Storm as friends to kind of give more weight to them being friends when you really didn't get to see much time of them together hanging out before Jean died.
1: Yeah, because that's Waterfall. one of the things about those early issues of X-Men is time passes between stories relationships are forged and formed and developed off page because we only i mean those early issues were bi-monthly exactly
0: bi-monthly to like 106 or 107 somewhere around there
1: yeah gene and storm become best of friends off panel so it's nice to get stuff like that that fleshes that out
0: yeah or like i said this one where you get to see the rec you know claremont i guess you know since he wasn't happy about retcon at least taking control so to speak of the retcon going okay this is how it happened
1: mm-hmm. or
0: even the uh the death of phoenix issue where you get to see what happens afterwards and how madeline madeline comes to life yeah of the of phoenix when she meets death
1: madeline Pryor is such a weird creative concept because like she's created as just a gene lookalike and it throws everybody off, but she has no connection. And then as the story goes along and during her existence, Jean is brought back and then they start building towards you know, Inferno and they tie Madeline Pryor into Mr. Sinister and Gene Gray and everything. And what was just a red herring at the beginning becomes reality. Exactly. And it's just it's just very strange creatively to watch that unfold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She had no connection to Jean Grey until she did. Right, right. But she was mysterious. She was a mysterious person who, like, there was a Phoenix flare burst. What was that about? It was just coincidence. Um, but yeah. or, or was... the,
0: the confusion about the Madeline Pryor appearance in Avengers Annual Ten, the little ten-year-old girl. Hi, my name's Maddie Pryor.
1: Yes, which was just a use of the name before the character existed. I just, I guess he just liked the name. So he used it once before that. But yeah, um, ended up having no connection whatsoever. It's kind of like the whole uh, Cable and Strive, who's the real clone? Because like yeah. it definitely changed over the course of the reveal of the mystery. Yeah. Who's the clone? Who's the real baby? Yeah.
0: We'll figure it out eventually, and then maybe we'll change our minds. Right. But yeah, so that's it. That's what happens here in Avengers. You know, basically the main reaction relation to Adam is the Enclave who created him. Uh, they get themselves thrown in prison,
1: mm-hmm. and uh, they and they cause the Avengers to come look into something, which reminds Captain America of him and her, but isn't actually related,
0: and sets off the whole thing of the return of Jean Grey and X Factor. Right. So you know it had. I guess it's had some repercussions on Marvel. You know, I mean, a th- you know, I know it's a crazy idea to think of a third X title. Imagine imagined three X ta- X-Men X-Men related titles going on at once. That's just, just madness.
1: Pretty good stuff.
0: All right. Well, that's the end of John's involvement in this episode. So, John. People sure want have- to hear more from you.
1: So you can find me at my website, johnreadscomics.com. There is no H. You can also find me on Twitter, at John Comics. I have several podcasts that I've done over the years. The current podcast that is coming out mostly every week is Superman in Crisis, which is looking at Superman's um, comics that were published during Crisis on Infinite Earths and then leading up to the end of that history for the character. So if you want to know how pre-Crisis Superman ended... Like his whole last year and a half of stories, then go check out Superman in Crisis, running almost every week from now until the end of June.
2: Okay, it's time for our feedback, and this time we're talking about feedback from episode 167, MCU 2021 and 2022, part two with John Wilson. On Facebook, the post about the episode got likes and shares from Joe Sedano and Ruth Sutherland. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Into the Night, Crazy Art, David Finn, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, Viet Nguyen, Ghost Spider Groupies, Trapped in a World, John JohnWeedsComics.com, and Chris Lighted. Remember, you want to hear more from me, you can hear me pretty much every week on the LEGION cast. On that show, which you can find on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC Comic sci-fi series, Legion. That is the Legion with the acronym, not Legion of Superheroes. And actually, at this point, we're not even talking about Legion anymore. We are talking about the follow-up series, Rebels. And in fact, we are not even talking about the initial follow-up series, Rebels, which was Rebels 95, 94, 95, and 96. We are talking about now the Rebels series that started in 2008. Everybody got that? Good. You also can hear me guest starring on a an episode in the Magazines of Monsters feed under the title Bronze Age, of, Bronze Age of Horror as Billy and I are talking about Werewolf by Night number 4 and 5. Links for all of those will be in the show notes. Now, you want to hear your name said here? Or do you have something that you want to comment on? Here's how you do it. Follow us on Facebook. Just go into Facebook, type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box. Our page will pop up. We're on Twitter, at AdamThanospod. Go follow our Tumblr page, resurrectionspodcast.tumblr.com, and of course, you can always send an email, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Now, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you are going to hear a promo for one of The collective shows
0: right now.
1: I am Connor from the House of El. And I am Ray from the House of Zod. We are two of the many, many survivors of Krypton's destruction, and we have made our home in Australia, and dare I say have become Australians, for better or worse. But we have also decided to read Superman comics, I read Superman books, watch Superman shows, cartoons, movies, basically everything Superman, and from an Australian perspective as well. Whether you're a seasoned fan, like me,
2: or whether you are coming in fresh, wide-eyed, and wanting to learn more like me, then this podcast is for you. Join us for our bi-weekly adventures available on all good podcast catchers.
1: So just search for Last Sons of Krypton, a Superman podcast. We'll be coming to you from Australia, or some cosmic dimension, wherever we are. Up, 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 and away. away.
0: And yeah, don't worry, John, we'll be back at least one more time for the for the wrap up of this whole wilderness slash legacy years event in two episodes.
1: Yay. Do I have to go back in the closet now?
0: Yes, get in the closet, damn it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
2: and DJ Puzzle at PeteSloveProductions.com Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.